0: Do not underestimate the power of PlayStation.
1: Beyond. 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 Beyond.
0: And that there. is the name of the show. We did it. We said the name of the show a whole bunch of times. Welcome everybody to Beyond, episode 533. My name is Max Scoville, and I'm joined today by Brian Altano.
1: Hello, everyone. Let's talk
0: about a mouse. Chloe Rad. Hi, guys. And my good friend and uh, one half of Necrophone Games, Luis Hernandez. Hello, everybody. You are a games developer. Whoa. You yes. make you make you made a game called Jazzpunk that I'm. Uh, True. I actually I became I became fond of that game because I I think you initially approached me about it like you you hit me up about doing voices for it a million years ago yes and i failed to actually follow through with that (laughs) so i'm not in the game but i've kind of actually gotten to watch you make that that game is out it exists on on playstation and people can play it uh and you were in town so i said why don't you come by the show and come hang out we can talk about games together and you can answer our questions about what they are and how people make them
2: thank you very much for having me on it's good Yeah.
3: yeah
0: Uh, we're also going to talk work, a little bit guys. about about Moss, which is a, a VR game about a mouse, and uh, Metal Gear Survive, which Chloe you actually played and reviewed, and you yeah. put up a score for. Yep. You sound enthused. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Well, you Metal Gear Survived reviewing it. I did. I'm Yeah.
3: Big boss along.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, first Mario things Mario first, uh, Luis, you made you made Jazz Punk. That came out. When did that come out?
2: Uh, originally, it came out 2014 February. February 2014. Okay. And it came out on Steam first. And yeah. With you, Steam and I don't know, humble bundle, et cetera. And then you you put it over on 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 PSN. Yeah. Yeah. It took a long time porting it over to PlayStation 4. And, and you put out you put out DLC pretty yes. recently? Yeah, we did a thing called so, the the Flavor Nexus.
0: So what like what happens? First of all, how do you how do you make a game go on the PlayStation? Uh like did you just like export a file and then email it to oh Sony?
2: Like what's
3: <laughs> the I, like this is
2: the thing. We talk about this stuff
3: Sticking every drive. Oh, yeah.
2: How mm-hmm. I wish. How much of a headache is that? Uh, it's a two-year headache for us. Um, so we're just a two-person company. We're a little, a just a little two-person company from Toronto, uh, Canada.
1: Okay. Um, a lot of Toronto's out there. So yeah,
2: represent, I don't know, <laughs> T? Don't do that. You don't need to do that. <laughs> it's not necessary at all. So, um, yeah, we're two people. Um, Sony is a giant, you know, nebulous, big corporation. A lot of, um, A lot of paperwork, a lot of... Big th- big bunch of things you got to sign, like a, a big Bible you got to sign your life away on. Uh, it's all the NDA do stuff. Do they
0: do they have like do they assign you a handler? Is there like a person? Kind can... of.
2: Um, so our yeah our guy was uh, originally Nick Sutner, which you may have met. Yeah yeah. Some over the years, big bearded. Yep. Wrote a good book on Starlight Colossus, etc. Yep. So. Great dude. He was that guy. He approached us many times at a lot of different conventions. He was really just a nice, cool guy. Um, and he was just like, hey, I, he just seemed to really like Jazzpunk. He's like, hey, it would be great to have it on the on the platform. And, you know, we were still wrangling trying to get it on PC um, figuring all that out. So it was a long time before we could – the game launched, and then we're like, okay, well, we can talk about the logistics of getting it on a, on a console. Now, you – how long – when did you start working on the game? Like, you, oh God. you were kind of chipping away at it for a while. So, it, yeah, we – the inception of it was, like, 2007. <sighs> and it was wow. – you know, it wasn't even a comedy game. It was, like, a weird – uh, sort of detective noir uh kind of puzzle game like sort of in the vein of portal or something like sure. you know, you're solving environmental puzzles with your I don't know weird hyper noir style and uh and then I I don't know then I got infused with like Latin jazz and that sort of changed <laughs> everything and it got really colorful and it got really stylized and it became fun to work on we decided it was was a comedy, so yeah, it started almost ten years ago. Was when that that's
0: was. that's like that's ridiculous. How it, did you like? How did you sustain yourself while doing that? Like, how did you guys didn't do like a Kickstarter or anything? Oh maybe? no,
2: uh, I mean, uh, it hel- I mean, how old would I've been? I was quite young when we started working on. So I was still living at home uh, originally. Um, I mean, I had a part time job or whatever, but um, you know, the the, re- like, the reason it's a comedy, games are hard to work on, and and it's quite bleak. Um, the reason <laughs> that be- that game evolved into a comedy out of necessity, we needed to we needed it to be fun to work on, mm-hmm. because if it wasn't, we were never going to finish it. So we started injecting jokes into the thing, and that that made it tolerable. That made it fun to actually work on. Interesting. So Does that
1: is that something that sort of that goes hand in hand with the art direction and with sort of like the animation and, and kind of being like, well, there's only it's it's kind of a minimalist game if you don't mind me saying. Oh yeah, so, no, that's fine. Um, and and that like there's really um only so much like seriousness you can convey in 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 a style like that before it kind of comes across as like almost inherently whimsical or goofy or lighthearted just in how simple it
2: is. Yeah, uh, the simple. Well, it's based like the the look of the game is based off of um, an isotype designer from Germany, the Gerd Arns. So he everyone knows like bathroom symbol sign like the right. man and woman. Everyone knows like uh, children walking across the street sign like those are isotypes. They're really readable. They're universal. They're very recognizable shapes and styles, and so I was like, "Well, what if I make a game? What if I base a game, you know, off that look? So it's it's readable. Mm-hmm. Everyone can kind of see like, well, that's a person. That's a phone. That's a, They're all like archetypes. They're right. readable archetypes. And I was like, well, if I do that, then I don't have to worry about you know, AAA crazy graphics or anything because it's everything is recognizable. Everything's readable. Um, you made the you made the game in, in Unity, right? Uh, eventually. Eventually. Uh, so, what, yeah. <laughs> when we started in 2007, Unity didn't exist, really. Um, so it started on something called NeoAxis, which, I don't know, someone out there will know it. It sounds like like,
0: a, like an evil organization. It's like, it
2: was, I think it's Croatian. It was just okay. made by one guy. Um, it was the Ogre 3D render API. I don't know. And then we supported it to something called Torque 3D, which was sort of another competitor with Unity Okay. Um, around... Um, it was like two thousand eight or two thousand nine.
0: So it was, like that so was we're, horrible. We're like getting in the weeds here, but you made this you made this game and you worked on it for like you know, so about five years for, for the beginning. For, yeah. And somehow you, you know, lived your life at the same time and, and worked on other stuff and then you put it out and then kinda like now what? Are yeah. you do you live in like a gold house? <laughs> do you drive like a jet car to work every day? Like what is like how does this how does this change your life to to ship a giant like a, a project like that?
2: Uh it was it's weird. Um it's weird to have a thing in the wild that you can't change anymore. Like, it's, I don't know, a lot of people compare it to having a kid. I don't, know. I don't have a kid, so I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you can't y- patch your kid. You can't patch, you. <laughs> well, you can kind of like seed ideas in your child. That's true. Child that care, is true. And You can maybe like curb, you know, the fingernail biting mm-hmm. issue. But, uh, um, yeah it's 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 weird, so it's I am in a position now where it's like well, it, it does pay for my my groceries mm-hmm. um i did I did actually continue working part time at a gallery like I was a technician um i don't i quit that earlier this year um, yeah no gold house, no rocket car uh not that that was that was never the goal though like I didn't want to go yeah or a rocket i mean I,
0: I feel like with with indie games you either hear about people. I don't know, like toiling away and, and, and working on this passion project for ages and they put it out there and then it either like lands like a rock or, you know, they get a documentary about them and they start a new studio and it, they become like these kind of darlings, you know. But Yeah,
2: there's a there's a inherent terror to being an indie developer in that um, you, you know, you put something out there and then you you're going to have to do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have to do it. It's like I mean, it's the same as it's very comparable to being an author. Because it's like, well, you wrote a book, it's sold, now you got to do another book. That's what you are. That's kind of like, that's your. That's what you put all your skill points yeah. into, you know what I mean? So it's like, well, you're going to have to make another game. Uh, only books, I mean, I wish I was an author. Books haven't really changed. Like, the format of a book is 200 years old. <laughs> the, the, all the technical skills that you may have had for, let's say, a PlayStation 2 game, you know, fast forward 5, 10 years when you're doing right. the next game, you're like, well all my tech knowledge is irrelevant now. I have to relearn, you know, even Unity itself is running on different renderers than it was when we were doing it 10 years ago. So you have to kind of go back to school. Yeah, if you go, like, I wrote
0: a new book, the publisher isn't like, actually, we're using a different
2: kind of paper and font now. Yeah, English? Like, we don't...
1: Really easy to, like, port a book. You know, you can put it on (laughs) Kindle or Nook with exclusive chapters, DLC or whatever you want to do. Um, It's pretty easy to do that. But, yeah, I, I think that, like... When your game came to PlayStation, did you find like a spiked interest in it? Did you find like because I know there's a lot of people on PlayStation and consoles in general that they don't pay attention at all to the PC ecosystem. Mm. It's foreign to them. It seems kind of wild westy. I know I'm mm. guilty of that a lot too. Um, Chloe, you're definitely not you. You completely get it. Um, But for me, there'll be a lot of things where, like, I don't really see stuff in that space because it always feels like it's like, oh, it's a soft launch or an alpha or a beta or it's, like, it's an advanced early, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. Um, But when Jazzpunk came to to PlayStation, did you get people for the first time paying attention and, like, looking up?
2: Yeah, like, there is this weird... You kind of don't realize... We sort of did it for science, too. It's like, oh, we'll port to PlayStation. We'll learn some shit. Right. Because... We don't know what happens when you do that, so we did that, um, and we slowly started to find like, oh, there's there's a there's a huge amount of people who are not willing to sort of get a machete and hack their way through Steam. Steam is a jungle. It's it's massive, and you really do need like a guide, like a Sherpa or something, and a machete, and like you hack your (laughs) way through. And there's people like Chloe out there who kind of they're like, well, I've gone through and I've gone into the the bush and I've come out. And I have some, you know. Here's what I found. She's got the the, torch and like mosquito net. (laughs) No, that's. And I mean,
3: Jazzpunk came out like before Steam started, kind of. You know, it was like a free for all where everybody could kind of upload their game, right? Right.
2: Yeah, we were kind. Well, we were um, just around the time Greenlight hit. Yeah. So uh, it was. It wasn't as. It wasn't as insane as it was today, but it was still fairly crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, when we ported to PlayStation, it's like the fact, just the sheer fact that Sony, uh, sort of separated the PS3 store and the PS4 store that they didn't share. Mm. There's, no, there's not a necessary continuity. If you launch something on the PS3, it's not automatically on the PS4 or PSN. And th- separating those two was actually really important um, because it meant that for anyone buying a PS4 and they go, them going on the store, it didn't have 10 years of backlog Stuff to cut through, and that's good and bad, right? It, you know, it would be nice to be able to get your favorite PS3 PSN game mm-hmm. without having to port it. At the same time, um, it's a lot less glut. It's a lot less stuff to cut through, and so that that actually did help us a little bit. Um, yeah, not knowing that people going into the store, there was some chance they were going to see it. Right. And, and that it wasn't buried under, yeah, 10 years or in Valve's case, you know. You also, years. I
0: mm-hmm. mean, you do get some buzz with uh, with a game that comes out to Steam first and then comes over to PSN. And we see this because, like, half the games that come out every week are ports of PC games. And we're like, oh, I don't know what that is. And you Google it and you look it up. And because it isn't, like, a brand new game, there are a bunch of people who have, like, played it and reviewed it. And sometimes that hurts it. But other times you're like, oh. This is worth paying attention to because it has a, you know, like a nine point eight rating on Steam or whatever.
2: Right. I, I don't actually know which would be better. Like, I don't think anyone knows. Everyone kind of pretends that they have science for you know <laughs> the order that you would release something. And um, there's a lot of people whose jobs are to kind of convince you one way or the other. Like, well, you you release it on PlayStation, then you stagger it, and you release it on Xbox, and then you release it on. And so it's like, but honestly, it's a total. It's chaos, right? You know, we don't. You don't really know. You can kind of be like, well, you know, putting it on PC was helpful because you got a, a, a buy-in audience, or putting it on early access was helpful because you got. But really, it's it's all kind of a lottery. You don't know. You don't know who is it's going to resonate with. It might resonate with PlayStation people more than PC people. Um, it, the controls might feel better on a on a PlayStation gamepad than they would on a. You know, some people don't own gamepads for their PCs, and it's like. Certain racing games are just going to feel better on a, mm-hmm. on a game yeah. pad than they are on a keyboard, right? So
1: there's also like you get there at launch, you're there early, you're beating the competition, you're also missing out of the massive install base that comes later. Mm-hmm. Um, you start uh, playing on Steam and you someone doesn't like it and they put up a bunch of bad reviews and it comes to consoles and you go to Google that that, that name and there's nothing but negativity about it. Yeah. So there, there isn't even that whole like, I, I do this a lot with indie games where I'm like, this looks interesting and I jump on it. Before, I know a ton about it, and then I sort of become, you know, one of the earlier sort of adopters or trailblazers there. Uh, but if I can Google something and I see a bunch of people don't like it, I tend to avoid it. So, yeah, there's there's no perfect way through any of that.
2: Yeah, I'm weird, too. Like, I'm a little contrarian. So if I see a bunch of people don't like it, I'm like, what's – there might yeah. be something there.
3: And your team didn't have – when it came out on PC, you guys didn't have, like, a PR team, really? Like, you kind of had to do all of your own marketing. Is that true
2: uh it was okay so that's there's an extra like ripple there um so when we first came out on pc we actually did have a publisher which was mm. adult swim oh that's uh, right they're not our publisher anymore oh. that was a, a limited time uh contract so they handled a bit of the the pr mm-hmm. um stuff but uh you know, that was only for a little bit, and then, you know, it eventually it fell on. You know, we're answering all the emails and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, like
3: what is that whole process like? Because as someone who's, like, really interested in deep-diving into all these digital storefronts, like, it's... I understand how difficult visibility can be for a developer, and Jazzpoint came out, I mean, in in so many years. Like, so much has changed, right, when it comes to indie marketing and...
2: Yeah. I don't know what the state of the, state of the art is in indie marketing these days. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it has to do with... Um, people capitalizing on streamers. That mm-hmm. um, might be, even that like might a be. Lot of,
0: a lot of streamers jumped on your game too, right?
2: Uh, yeah, uh, we kind of, I guess we got a little lucky in that. Um, that was around the, our game came out almost right when the, the the spike of this, you know, the wave of streaming becoming a thing happened. So we didn't actually have any anticipation for that whatsoever. And we kind of had to learn really quickly on our feet. Like, oh, people will take our game and stream it. And no one ever whispered that in our ears. No one was like, by the way, everything's going to be streamed. Like, Get ready. So right. it kind of caught caught us by surprise because I grew up in the, I'm old fashioned. So in my head, I'm like, oh, I hope GamePro and EGM give it a 8.5. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm still thinking 20 years, like, oh, Nintendo Power might, you know what I mean? Like, I've, been,
1: I've been waiting by my mailbox <laughs> for that
2: magazine. For yeah, exactly. Years now. Like, oh, EGM didn't, wait a minute, EGM hasn't existed for five years, right? right? And so that kind of thing, um, that's more what, what games journalism was and and sort of the review system was to me and um, I very quickly had to learn that, oh, all of that has shifted, all that power has shifted in the the environment. Um, Yeah, so we were published originally, we were Adult Swim. We didn't have to do all of our marketing stuff and then when we launched on PlayStation, it was self-published, so we had to do everything ourselves and I very quickly learned that uh, that is not my skill (laughs) set. I am not excited about doing, I don't write blurbs like that's just I 3D model things. I do textures. I do sounds. I do voices. Like those are my that's my skill set. Mm-hmm. It's not um, it's not writing. What is it? Copy. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's press not writing. Yeah. It's not writing like you know. Hey, random press person whom I don't know. Get excited for <laughs> my thing. Here's ten reasons why it's yeah. get excited. Like Well, we'll we'll write the numbered lists over here. That's yeah, yeah exactly. List. I well, yeah, what I mean.
1: No, I'm 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 like I'm <laughs> I'm totally with you. I, I love making things and I hate going on Twitter and being like, look at me, the man that made the thing. Mm. Isn't this great? Come check it out. It's such a good thing I did. Um, but it that's like part of the hustle, right? Like you gotta kinda do that a little bit. And it sucks because yeah. it's I don't know, making stuff is kind of the fun part. So how do you how do you pick I guess I'll put it this way: How do you pick a release date, or how do you say to yourself this is done? How do you, because you could work, you could work on this for five years, right? Right. Or five more years. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But eventually you have to go like, no, this comes out on April 10th
2: or whatever it is. So So, how do you pick all that? So it's funny. Both times, uh, both times there was a little bit of a imposition, and I don't know. I might not be able to fully talk about it in an NDA capacity, but basically. Uh, some big company that I'm dealing with that shall remain nameless, um, there are tech limitations or like, uh, uh, um, what would it be? It's Okay, so I'll use an analogy. So let's say you're making an iPhone 8 game and uh, the iPhone 8, uh, so the iPhone 9 is coming out in six months and you're talking to Apple and Apple is like, yeah, you got to get that game Released on the iPhone 8 within the, that six months, because if you don't, we're changing the OS version number, and your thing isn't going to run on the iPhone 9. Oh. There's weird, there's like catches there. There's kind of like, if you don't if you don't do not th- do, if you don't clean your room before your aunt comes over, I don't know, that's a terrible analogy. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, there's things like that where you're like, oh, we actually have to get this done by this time, or it won't it's it's you can't submit it you'd have to redo it in a different on a different um so
1: so like wow. again very different than like a a book or an album or something like that yeah. or like a painting because yeah. it's just
2: like a cd is a cd yeah. records a record they're not like oh we're reinventing vinyl in 6 months so yeah. you better get your thing out because then everyone's tape pl- tape player and vinyl player and everything is changing now so, but
1: is there is there a sort of um is there a pressure or weight on you guys to now future-proof that forever? Because I do notice, like, there's a weird thing that happens with digital games, and your game didn't get a physical release, did it?
2: No, we never did one.
1: So um, I don't know if there was a demand for that or not, but like I see that a lot. I with, wish. Yeah. I mean, there's there's um, there are companies now that very specifically partner with indie games to create physical versions of games that will sort of run forever. But there's also the idea that licenses run out and games disappear from the store. We saw a couple years ago, I believe it was um, Alan Wake. Yeah, Alan Wake's one of them. The Ninja Turtles game, they came out like two years ago because yeah. they were just like, well, paying the Turtles is more expensive than the money we're making off yeah. of the Turtles off this game. It's terrifying. Yeah, so games just disappear forever. And with iPhone specifically, we notice that a lot. And we're starting to see it with consoles more. But you guys are a two-man team. So is there any pressure for you to say, like, if Sony comes in and they go like, hey, we've updated the OS and your your shit doesn't run anymore, like, does your game just die?
2: Uh, Well, a little bit. Um, <laughs> Kind of okay. like we well, there is no PlayStation Five yet. Mm-hmm. It's coming.
1: You just confirmed the iPhone nine, so yeah, is
2: a lot it, of surprises. I don't could even come know. I mean, I don't even it's know what. It's a prequel iPhone. to the ten. What, yeah, yeah it's gonna what, be huge. Yeah. <laughs> what iPhone are we on? I have no idea. Eight but and t- eight and X. Yeah. Okay. No nine? nine. No nine. Is? No, they haven't no. revealed nine yet. Yeah. Oh, you sh- just did it. Oh, yeah. top <laughs> secret. Okay, I was anyway. Um, so I don't know. I mean, backwards compatibility is a whole other <laughs> ball of wax that won't get into, but. Um, yeah, I don't actually get to know whether or not my game will run on a PlayStation Five or Six. So it's like, does does Jazzpunk on the PlayStation die with PlayStation Four? Maybe, right? Possibly. I mean, very. You know, it's very possible. Um,
1: uh, yeah, you won't get an email being like, "Hey, just a heads up, your thing stopped working."
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll it'll probably as long as the PlayStation Four servers, the PlayStation Four store, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is probably going to be its own. Self-contained store. As long as that exists, you should be able to buy jazz punk off of it. But I mean, you know, ten years from now, who's who's buying PlayStation threes now, hooking up to the PlayStation three store and buying a PlayStation three version of Limbo? I'm sure there are people are. Yeah. yeah. But it's not. Rare. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and then at some point, it's like they lose. You know, someone somewhere is going to lose like your bank account number. Or something. Like something will change. Yeah. And the bureaucracy of it will just get hairier and hairier. And it's like, you know, the way. um You know the way DOS games used to come on, like, discs? Yep. And, like, you would beat the shareware, and at the end there would be a little MasterCard visa, like, you can order Part 2 of Wolfenstein, uh, send your money to blah, blah, blah. That address is dead. Yeah. Like, I can't buy Wolfenstein Part 2 from id Software. id Software still exists, but I can't buy... Wolfenstein through their old 1993 payment program.
1: Right, and their their tips hotline phone number is yeah, now exactly. like, like something completely different, like a pizza place or
2: something. Yeah, exactly, so like, qu- quit calling, I can't help you with Kirby, like, right. yeah. <laughs> go away. So yeah, that kind of stuff, it just er- it's a weird thing about games, like they erode in that way, you can't, I can't get my old shareware updates, huh. I can't get my, um, and so the, yeah, when things are online like that or when they go through the mail system like that, they break down differently than uh, you know a SNES NES game is an SNES NES game right it's Nes uh, it runs it'll just run it's a cartridge it's its a dedicated system it doesn't have to phone home I love it um, and I, it's frustrating the, the kind of era that we're in now where it's sort of like oh my book is gonna become obsolete
1: well it's weird too because it's like you're you work just as hard on your game as a small group of developers did on a Super Nintendo game yeah um, you fight harder nowadays, in a much more competitive sort of Wild West or Ocean or whatever it is of other games uh, trying to find that perfect release date. And on top of that, and hoping you don't get buried, when it does get released, it's got x amount of years before it's a either obsolete or b impossible to find or delisted from the store entirely like it's such a weird ecosystem now making games like again you're you're making games in the same way that people always made games like you have an idea you create it you release it it's out there consumers enjoy it and then uh back in the day that lasted forever and then now it's this weird moving target multiplied by um this sort of Lim- there's a limit to the to the to the life of it yeah all of that is really sad i guess it's, the word. it's like, sad
2: it's scary it's also strange too because um uh you know if you think about uh going to buy like an old nintendo cartridge or something the developer it's all it's all you it's a used market right so the developer actually isn't making any money on those purchases but it gets to it, at least the game gets to exist you know your little game boy beat up yellow pikachu uh, Pokemon game gets to still live another life mm-hmm. over and over again like it can persist in the universe but you know um, Nintendo isn't seeing any of that that used money. You know, how many times has a copy of that been bought and sold? They they
1: realized in what was it like 1988 with Blockbuster that right. that was happening right off the bat, and they were like, "We're losing money off of every rental. We're going to start fining Blockbuster, or we're going to charge Blockbuster ninety five dollars for the game." Which I think like movie studios did too. That's why I used it, to do that. Yeah, back in the day, like, they would have like if you lost a movie that you rented, yeah. two hundred dollars. Like, yeah, it would yeah. be like two hundred dollars. My my dad put uh, it was like like father like son or one of those body swap comedies on the roof of our car and drove away and then it was like shit where's that movie and then we went back to the video store and they're like you owe 125 dollars." i like, always that thought movie, that was just that great video
0: store screwing with you but then yeah. i worked at tower records and we sold through our system like rental store copies of things and yep. they were straight up like at cost they were like 95 bucks yep. and that was in like 2006 mm-hmm. so yeah but
1: nowadays if i buy jazz punk digitally again the only way to purchase it um and i don't play it or i have it or i want you know i can't like give that to anybody i can't and so that's that's a weird part of it too there's no there's no sharing i can't even hand you that weird yellow pack yeah 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 yeah, exactly Uh, there's
0: no like archival there's no archival version let alone like our physical retail copy there's no like way you can be like "Ah, i have like a
2: backup short of having a
3: did you ever sell a drm free copy like on itch.io?
2: yeah there's stuff on uh you can get out good old games and probably another um uh, Humble, I think, it was an, a DRM-free version. So there are things like I can, I can carry it around on a USB key, and it exists in perpetuity in that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've thought about. I mean, th- sure. there there is a thing where I can always um, it'll always persist on PC because PC is inherently backwards compatible. That's sort of important. Um, so even if it doesn't survive on the on the PlayStation, the game will still be playable. You know, presumably. Um, 10, 15, 20 years right. from now because of PC. Like, mm-hmm. I can I can go back and I, I can play Wolfenstein 1.
0: Yeah, it's going to be weird to see what happens because I think it's something like there's 27 new Steam games coming out every day. So it, every like, second. What, yeah, yeah, what gets what gets kept around? Like, how do people archive that? So uh, the good news is Jazzpunk is out there for people who want to check it out. Uh, it's on PSN. It's on Steam. It's on, what, Linux and... Mm. OS 10 and
2: yeah, uh, well, it's the director's cut now. So okay. yeah, Jazzpunk director's cut. It's on. Oh man, it's on. Kind of go
0: check out Jazzpunk. Yeah, it's good. Uh, anyway, moving on. Um, one big game that came out that uh, probably had an even more complicated, sort of sorted road to getting there is Metal Gear Survive. Uh, we talked a bit about that last week and kind of wondering what it's going to do and what what the sort of the the what kind of a, a footprint it would leave when it came out. And Chloe, you reviewed it. You kind of fell on that yeah. sword. Yep. <laughs> Uh, how's that been? How's the reaction been to this game? How do you um, like it? What's up with it?
3: Well, let me just say, going from reminiscing about jazz punk to Metal Gear Survive is not great. <laughs> <'cause I laughs> love, 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 love jazz punk, but yeah, um, Metal Gear Survive launched for the press the same day it launched for everyone else, so I really had to scramble on that review. Um, it was not a fun time reviewing the game, but fortunately, it's not as bad as we all kind of expected. Like, when you have to do a review for something like this, you really have to Drop all of that, you know, like Konami bandwagony hate, because like I was totally on that train when this game got announced. Yeah, um, but
0: you're a seasoned professional, and you're gonna kind of look at it objectively. I have to try as... my
3: best to not be salty about it, like the rest of the internet is being justifiably, maybe a little bit. Of course, bit, yeah. I yeah, th- I
1: was gonna ask you about that, because I mean, there there is a specific level of baggage I think comes with everything around this title right now, and you, it's your job to go hey, I just walked into a store and I picked this game up and I don't know anything about it, but also yes. I'm an expert. So. Yeah.
3: And so if you kind of strip away all the you know stuff that happened with Hideo Kojima in 2015 and all of that, you just look at this as a game. Um, it still kind of carries some of that weight with it because it is a Metal Gear game. Konami, for some reason, decided to... Well, the reason is money, let's be honest. <laughs> but um, they decided to keep the Metal Gear name, but it's really like... It's it's kind of a weird like Frankenstein's monster of a game almost because it's got it's like it's made up of parts of like Peace Walker and Phantom Pain you have like that base building element that was in both of those games um, still present here but it's like wrapped up in this like kind of like don't starve like package you know where you have like hunger and thirst meters you have to balance out there's also like some like resource micromanagement going on yeah um where like 70 percent of the game feels like you're just running around shoving garbage in your pockets like is is that um, is that
1: side of it Fun because I actually I realize as I get older that I like a lot of games that do that except for when it happens too quickly, <laughs> like yeah. when my character is just kind of like he eats and then five minutes later he's like I'm starving or he's thirsty again. Uh-oh. It kind of pushes me off. Is that one? Of, is so this one of those games? So
3: what's funny is I did not struggle with that as much in the be- in the opening hours of the game as it seems like some other uh, reviewers did. Like your hunger and thirst meter do deplete very quickly and in the beginning it, it's it's like. It is a challenge, like, to, to, like, you definitely do have to take time to be, like, I'm going out hunting, specifically hunting. I'm not going to do any side quests. I have to, like, get my hunger and thirst back up. Um, and there's, like, limited food, like, in the environment, you know, in the, in the world, because you're in this just horrible hell desert. Um, but, like, I mean, there's small ways around that. Like, I think going into multiplayer kind of gives you a, a small, like, it heals you a little bit. That's um, right. But, like... You, I think the big part of it is you have to embrace that loop of going out into the world and just grinding for resources, grinding for food and and water. And, uh, once you, if you can get into that, like you will have fun with the game. Like the, the first, like maybe 10 hours are so tutorial heavy. It also like never stops telling you like, watch out for your hunger and thirst meter. Like I'm like 30 hours (laughs) into the game and it's like, you're getting hungry. Don't forget to eat. And I'm like, shut up. (laughs) But, um, no, like, you guys ever played, like, one of those, like, kind of ca- casual mobile games, like, yeah. base builders, right, yeah, those yeah, free-to-play right. games? Like, it feels like that and that the experience is very cheap, but it's, it's, it's fun in, like, a cheap way where sure. you're just, like, I'm just kind of wasting time. There's nothing really interesting happening, but it's still enjoyable, you know?
0: Huh. No, I I played like two hours of it on a live stream last week, and I was—it was about what I was expecting. Like, kind of, just towards the end of it, I started to kind of feel those hooks. Like, I felt like I'd made enough progress that I was like, I could see myself enjoying the process of grinding. Mm -hmm. And once you kind of get past that, then you're like, okay, well, what else does the game have? Uh, What really grabbed me uh, was—I was asking about it, and all we've seen in terms of bad guys in this are these like. Weird, corny, glow-in-the-dark unicorn head zombie yeah, guys, wanderers, and then mm. there's the big balloon guys who grow up grow up like a, yeah, yeah. a puffball mushroom. But you were saying that uh, towards the end, it starts to have some like actual, really cool horror stuff in it, and
3: so it's actually the horror stuff starts to come in kind of early on. Um I don't want to spoil too much for people who care about playing the game but um Masahiro Ito of team Silent who did the he did, he's like famous for designing the creatures on the Silent Hill games oh, notably awesome. like Pyramid Head Yeah. He did the creature design on this game and when I saw his name pop up in the opening credits I was like wait like I'm interested, yeah, you know. So did they just and, like did
0: they just stealth a Silent Hill game into a Metal Gear game?
3: This game honestly feels like it was the product of several different pitch meetings where they they took pieces of what maybe Silent Hills was gonna be and like just and they just kind of mashed it up into the most like monetizable genre possible, which is grindy base building. But the horror elements, like I. I if they had leaned into them a bit more i might have had more fun with this game in terms of like the story cuz the storyline's really stupid like it's not you're not going to be you know if you play metal gear games for the story which a lot of us do like it's just it's about wormholes and like you're not going to cry you're not, not going to have a single tear no in there's it's <laughs> going to be no like snake eater moment in there mm-hmm. um but yeah like th- there are just some really cool moments like there's this one specifically i wish i could talk a little bit more about but like it's not just these zombie guys out you know in the the dust which is like the this kind of like you know Stephen King's like the mist yeah it's <laughs> it's very much like that where you're kind of in this like really foggy like uh part of the the map that you have to like wear an oxygen mask to to traverse and and you see something and and when i saw that i was like there's more going on here than just zombies
2: hmm.
3: but unfortunately uh it doesn't it doesn't super deliver there's a really i mean there's the last missions kind of cool i guess but also not okay <laughs> how about, I mean, about
0: how long is it to, to get through the entire thing in the single player
3: uh it really depends because there's a lot of side missions you can do a lot of side missions that i did not do because i was rushing to just beat it but it's right. about 25 to 30 hours okay and then wow. there's there's a whole post game you know yeah, and then there's um, multiplayer too yeah there's That's, multiplayer and it's kind of tied into single player
0: what about microtransactions bit. did you run on any of those
3: yeah so mm. <laughs> when i was reviewing the game um my kind of rule i set for myself was i'm not going to seek out the microtransactions i want them to come to me i want to see how they kind of naturally creep into the game because you know like i mean i don't like microtransactions right like i don't unless they're something like cosmetic like i don't like pay to win right right? so i wanted to see how possible it was to play the game without dishing out more money and it is it's it's totally possible like They start to creep in uh, maybe, I don't even know if I can put a time on it. When the base building stuff starts to get more complex, like when you start to get all these overlapping systems, like you get these expedition teams you can send out to to kind of grind for resources and they come back on like a timer, you know. but money
1: makes them run a little faster. Yeah.
3: Uh, money lets you unlock more teams. Do so they you co- can have okay. Okay. more teams going out looking for resources at the same time. Do you control
2: um, your expedition forces or they're just, you're you just sent out and they come back with Yeah. Stuff. So
3: what you do okay. is like you you have uh you go out on these rescue missions and you find these people out in the wilderness and you bring them back to your base and then you assign them to different teams. So you have right. like a medical team of team responsible for the for the food or whatever. Are they all
2: crazy from the mist?
3: No, oh. no, no. Yeah, they're just they're just like the the phantom pain, you know. Mm. People I was like, hoping uh, they'd
2: be a little crazy. <laughs> no. just regular actually, dudes.
3: Yeah. The, the characters are extremely I mean, boring. You're running around but, like
2: eating like
0: eating like dogs and drinking dirty water and stuff. So if anybody, I feel like everyone's kind of crazy in this game. Yeah. 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 As long as you don't have like a glowing like you know triangle for a head, you're like you know less crazy. So Uh-oh.
3: yeah, but um, so you start to see those. You know, you have to pay for like a... Uh, like. You get five, I think, loadout slots. And if you want more than that, like you pay. Mm. And so this is just stuff like that where it's like, it's not necessary to beat the game. But the worst one is definitely having to pay $10 to unlock a second save slot. Unless yeah. you do. Del- yeah. So you can only have one character going at a time unless you pay $10 per oh. new save slot. And that that's a load of crap.
1: Well, yeah. Because I, I think for a lot of these. And I like, I wince saying this, but for a lot of these, it feels like there's some sort of. Vaguely bullshit, but at least half-attempted narrative justification behind them. That just feels like horse's ass. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's, no. that's nothing like, there. And, There's and no it, reason for that.
3: It it literally like uh, you know like there at, when as I was doing this review, I was like, oh, I want to make a second you know second game and and go back and, and like you know watch the opening cutscene again or like do, do something in the, earl- the the beginning of the game, and I couldn't because I was like, I'm not paying ten dollars. Like, you know. Doing well, I review, mean, you like? know,
0: to play, to get play, devil's advocate, advocate for <laughs> Roger Konami and friends. Uh, I, I think that y- it's a forty dollars game. So really, you could have two extra save slots, and then you're up to the average of three save slots oh, for sixty true. bucks. Very so really, sneaky. Those save slots
2: aren't cheap. Remember memory yeah. cards. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What happened to those? Those were great. Those were fun. They were right? good yeah.
1: until they lost all your all your shit. That, that ever happen to you? Yeah. So I yeah, mean, that like, happened to me on my Nintendo Switch like two weeks ago. Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: well, they have no excuse. That's true. It's 2018.
3: Like the the worst part of it is just that knowing, you know, that mm. it's just a cash grab for Konami. That kind of did well, that know, costs that,
2: them nothing. It costs yeah. them nothing to open up next year. Right. Yeah. It's a next right. You're you're. It's not going on their cloud server yeah. or something. Like what's the so it. Just,
3: it, it It feels bad because it it feels like watching that high def snake eater cutscene they made for that pachinko machine Uh, where you're just like, Konami, what are you doing? And I know exactly what they're doing. They're making money in the easiest way possible because that, why not? That's not even that
1: it sucks. It's not even that it's $10, it's that it's any dollars. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's no price where you're like, even a penny, you'd be like, I got to pull out the credit card for this. Yeah. It's the
3: way like art is sacrificed for. Easy money and Super it's Mario bad, f- bad
1: Super feeling. Mario World has three save slots. Yes, <laughs> that's, a, that's a 16-bit game where a man gets on a green horse. Yeah, <laughs> Like so, come on. Yeah. that's frustrating. Uh, but but again,
3: it's a bummer. It's kind of this weird, you know, it's this weird thing where I have to sort of set that aside and just review the game for what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: like what are you? I'm you're you're kind of just playing with what's actually there and without putting in extra money.
2: And you know, yeah. you
3: point
0: out what costs more money.
2: But what are, yeah. what are the and, nutrients in it? Like, what did you get out of it? What do you like? What can you? What's good? What can you taste? <laughs> what?
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, like, what? What are the
2: nutrients? <laughs> yeah, like what like, when I play something like I try to extract nutrients out of the well, thing.
0: And this. Well, in this we have a screenshot here that Chloe found that there's a, a food item called grilled wild ass oh, uh, yeah. which I'm gives sorry, a solid 0 for. Th- that, uh, one's on the, that one's on that one's on the house, right?
3: It's you guys put it up there. It's wild ass meat. Yeah. So when you when you you know when you get it you, you said so you're you telling me this is a wild game ass meat where and you I, can eat ass. I chose to grill it. You can also smoke it. Yeah. Um, I'll smoke some ass. Recovery zero. <laughs> Um, I
0: think it's funny that a game where you're like, yeah, you got to uh, you got to send people out to recover stuff. You're constantly like worried about like your your hunger yeah. gauge going down. You're like, I think I'm going to take a good 16 hours and smoke this piece of wild. That, yeah. You're like, that's like that's the lazier, That's like the slowest way of cooking something. You're like, yeah. why use fire when I could use the byproduct of fire?
3: Yeah,
2: it's dumb. So uh, so
3: if you're talking nutrients, so there's that's a you eat one. a lot of yeah. ass in the game.
2: I'm just curious. I guess I'm I'm curious to see what these designs are, these Masahiro Ito designs, because he's, he's probably my favorite living artist, yeah. mm-hmm. and I would love to see
3: They're what he did
2: for it, and if he actually, he did 3D modeling on on Silent Hill, like he actually created some of the creatures, he didn't just sketch them, mm-hmm. and I wanna know, did he just sketch these creatures and send it to somebody, or did he actually do with them 3D modeling? Because yeah. that would be v- a very big deal.
3: Yeah. Um. I wouldn't get your hopes up too much. Yeah. Honestly, if that's what you're going in it yeah. for, like again, the horror elements are are not as played up as they could be. Um but but like no. the end game has has a lot of content that I actually Okay. Um so fast like, forward through it somehow. Yeah, like the Hack the post game huh. spoiler, there's like maybe boss fights that you know, Wow. Oh. I mean, I don't want to spoil it, much. No, 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 I got you. Okay. So um so let
1: me let me ask you this. Um we we didn't think this game would exist after 5 and here it is is this is this the beginning of the next step of this franchise is this the end of metal gear as we know it like where does this where does this franchise go from here cuz that's i think that's the most sort of interesting aspect of all of this is like okay well they made a new metal gear game mm-hmm. it's out there in the wild that's done you can play it or you can boycott it but either way it's there now what metal
3: gear i honestly i think the ending kind of implied a sequel a uh-huh. little bit. They did that like post credits, like you know, phone oh, call, phone call, yeah, yeah.
2: desert phone call. The- <laughs> yeah. What about Olga's baby?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um.
2: How is this phone working? <laughs> what?
3: It's like, I don't know. Like I, I mean, I can see them milking this game, you know, as much as they can, and then and then putting out a sequel that's just more of a cash grab. Right. 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 But like
2: they own the IP they can do it they can milk it as long it's as True they
3: want. unless they do Silent Hill. Oh my god, if they turn Silent Hill into a zombie tower defense base builder, I will actually cry. Like <laughs> I love Metal Gear Solid so much, but you know, like we kind of saw something like this coming mm-hmm. for a while, but like if oh god. I mean, They'll probably don't make don't a ca- They'll Hill.
1: make a Castlevania where it's like
2: 30 bucks to make the whip long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, my my um, guess is like so this thing runs on the Fox engine. Yes. They invested a lot of money. Konami invested, invested a lot of money in that Fox <laughs> engine once that Fox engine is no longer usable on a system, They'll stop. They're not going to make a new team to make a Fox yeah. engine. So they're probably going to milk Good it. Good point.
3: I'm actually really curious if they're going to develop like a battle royale mode for this game. Yeah, probably. That's why not? Yep. Oh man. Yeah.
2: Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah no, cool.
0: they got a great character creator. You can pick up to four different men's haircuts. Really? Yeah, it's very exciting. It it Hundred different men trying to eat that. <laughs> so that's
3: like that's sort of the other side to this that I haven't really talked about here too much. It's like you got the resource management, the base building. It's all very menu heavy, but like. It is in the Fox engine. It is a good feeling game to play. Like yeah. It just right. feels like you're playing Phantom Pain. And those were the best moments of the game for me is when I just kind of got lost into it and yeah. felt like I was just doing a rescue just, mission in Phantom Pain. For,
2: yeah, you forget. Yeah, it, it erodes. The,
3: yeah. The yeah. problem is like the map is is just the Afghanistan map from Phantom Pain. Are you serious? Yes. It's oh the Afghanistan God. map from Phantom Pain.
0: Oh, that sucks. Well, they put you, crap everywhere. But they, didn't they took
3: they took like all the bases and all the outposts yeah. out, and there's just kind of like these these v- v- rare points of interest. Otherwise, it's just rocky desert Wow. and a ton of zombies scattered everywhere. And wow. so the action is not interesting yeah, at yeah. all. Like the stealth is not interesting, right? Like what made Phantom Pain good is that you had this this awesome arsenal, and you had to adapt to situations as they changed, and like you know like uh, you could kind of, you know, you you mark enemies on your radar, and mm. and and you're like, how do I approach right, this with no, what I have? You can't and mark
0: enemies in this, can you? No, and it's because yeah. the
3: enemies are all the same, right. and and yeah. they don't interact in any interesting way. Yeah. They don't. They're yeah. just not they smart. Use the map. Yeah. They use the map, and they oh, don't and they don't do anything body. interesting. Well, so with it. what's interesting
0: here is what you, based on what you've told me, and we're not going to spoil anything. But mm-hmm. some of the stuff you told me does make me very interested, at the very least, to kind of like pull up pull up video of it and check it out, just so I can see what it looks mm-hmm. like. And uh, I don't know. I, I remember towards the end of Phantom Pain when it was about to launch, they did like they put out this trailer that was like, and here's the end game stuff, and it just showed off like. And Kojima's always dumping stuff from his like from his later cutscenes in his trailers and sort of spoiling his own thing, mm-hmm. but in this case, it was like. Here's the, uh, you know, here's the zone of the Ender's like glove enhancement you can get, like oh here you can abduct enemies with wormholes, like here's here's your robot you can repaint or whatever, and it was all this stuff where I'm like if I hadn't seen that, if I hadn't seen that until I saw it in the game, that would have been so much more of a surprise. Hmm. So to know that there's stuff buried at the back end there of this, you know, mm-hmm. sounds like kind of mediocre game is kind of bittersweet, you know, because it does make me like ooh, I want to see what happens, but at the yeah. same time, I don't know.
3: Like I said, it's an okay game. You'll have fun with it probably. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I mean, like I did. it's A I box quote. Yeah,
2: out yeah. of ten. <laughs> Fun with it probably. It's a game. Yeah, Chloe Rad.
3: I mean, you know, it near the end game. Once you do start to get more gear and stuff, like there might be more opportunities for Met, some of those Metal Gear. To get more Metal Gear. Oh. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but. There, there. Again, there are some. Oh, there some, are some, some stuff. Cool. It's a game called Metal
0: Gear. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of weird if you don't. Know, oh, just there might yeah. be a metal. Who knows? A Metalized. Um. Gear. Now, one thing that's like that's these. funny is is like I, I'm just. I feel like there was this whole turnaround where leading up to this game, there were people who were like milita- militarized against it. They're like, we hate it. This is an affront to Metal Gear. We hate this game. We hate it so much. And we, we would try to talk about it on this show and be like, hey, you know, it, it, mechanically it seems pretty sound. It could have some some garbage microtransactions in there. And, we, you know, obviously we're not happy with what Konami's doing. But we'll give it, you know, we'll give it a fair shake. And people are like, how dare you <laughs> give it a fair shake? <laughs> and then we put up this this clip last week that was like, you know, is this is this doomed in arrival based on the amount of negative buzz going into it? Question as a headline to get people intrigued to click on the video and watch it. That's yeah. how that works. Uh, and people were like, hey, I'm really sick of the media and gamers not giving this game a fair <laughs> shake. You're just judging it. Before. And I was like,
3: what do you want? Do you not you know? read the comments of my review. Oh. It is just people on both sides being like, you didn't score this high enough. You didn't score this low enough. Right. Like, how, you know, how dare you? The game's press is, is just a yeah. bias, or like, how, you know, well, how people dare you made not it. die like, for Kojima's honor?
2: A huge mm-hmm. team of people still killed themselves working yes, on it. Like, like, yes, yeah, and you that, know that, what I mean?
3: So
2: that's
1: been th- our sort of like yeah. tower defense about the thing evil. for a while too, you know. It's
2: no. a guy programming like a dust system. Yeah, with yeah. <laughs> no he-,
1: he had no healthcare either. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, so
3: one thing I wanted to talk about is like uh I'm sure everybody saw like the uh Hidden message in the opening cutscene? Yeah, right, that's yeah. going. Around.
1: No, no, I mean for for those that didn't, because I actually just caught this this morning.
3: Uh, yeah. If you explain. So in the opening cutscene, there's a scene where uh, characters going down a clipboard of names, and it's all, um, you know, like angry mackerel and like yeah. th- those like military code names.
0: Death Eagle Ray. Yeah. Yeah. And like that.
3: There's this 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 kind of hidden message. You can see it starts with um, hungry Komodo dragon, where it goes. You take the first letter of the last name. It's KJP. You know Kojima Productions mm-hmm. and then F O R E V E R forever, and then at the very ending it says Bastard Yota and Cunning Yuji. And the, the, uh, Yota and Yuji are the director and producers of Metal Gear Survive, and so you have this developer or developers, um, you know, current or f- possibly former, uh, hid this sort of like battle cry, you know, oh, like that's Kojima so cool. forever. Um, wh- another kind of cute detail I like uh, if you skip the first one i guess um iron marlin and dire gibbon um it's mg like metal gear and they're both killed in action
0: oh wow yeah and uh (sighs) i mean uh, uh, our
3: (laughs) box is kind of uh covering it but yota and yuji are also um missing in action mia conspiracy or awol there it is yeah,
1: these feel like very like really cool Easter eggs slash like very loud cries for help. Yeah, yeah. and so that's <laughs> what I want to
3: talk about. It's like yes, you can you can tear this game apart all you want, but like the people who worked on Phantom Pain, a lot of them worked on this game as well, and hmm. they're the, you know they, they they probably
2: yeah it's a guided it's a guided desk you know making textures yeah, and, and, and making these, models these and doing people, animations like they they you know they work really hard for that exactly yeah.
3: and they probably wanted the game to be good and they're probably yeah. sad that it's got this dark shadow over mm-hmm. it and and they're also probably sad that that they're working on a metal gear game that's not really a metal gear game like everything yeah, you're yeah. feeling the people who worked in it are feeling too like remember there are human beings behind the games mm-hmm. that, that you play yeah and i mean
0: i think it's also funny that they, there's they, also evil yeah. corporations i mean the kjp for, forever obviously like nobody konami higher up and that's what is it K- uh, kojima japan productions mm-hmm. um but like that's what the kjp is but uh i could see them being like that's that's kind of them being like hey guys we, we still we still love you, you know. Like this. Yeah. that was a team that got split up, and obviously, I'm sure there's some weird stuff where it's like they don't, you know, don't don't be seen associating with former Konami employees mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but as far as like the bastard Yoji and Utah or whatever, yeah. th- like that seems like the kind of th- that's so like that's so upfront that it yeah. seems kind of like a thing they would do as like a wink and a nod just for the hell of it, you know?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I just I just love the solidarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, someone's <laughs> probably getting fired for that solidarity. Not. Solid Snake. Metal Gear Solidarity.
0: solidarity. That's what they should have <gasps> called it. Yeah. Be the um, next one. Yeah, anyway, uh, last week we talked a little bit about uh, Rec Room and PSVR, and over in our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash podcast beyond, there's a post about how we aren't giving enough attention to PlayStation VR, or we kind of skipped over some big stuff, and I would like to apologize that and really just, um, first of all, announce that they've done, uh, Sony's doing a temporary price cut on PlayStation VR, and they're also dumping a ton of games on there, so we'll try to be better about kind of covering that stuff. uh, A bunch of the games
1: are also discounted as well. I saw Batman was like 11 bucks over the weekend, which is Mm. like, Fantastic I mean, price for that for that experience.
0: Yeah, and just PlayStation VR, I feel like is finally at that point. It's been out for what like a year and a half at this point, and mm-hmm. it's getting there, and it's it, it's starting to have like a really solid library. And you know they're tweaking stuff. They put out the kind of the version one point five or whatever. Uh, but in any case, if you're trying to get your hands on a PlayStation VR, it's now's a pretty good time to look at it. They could also be around the corner from announcing a brand new version. I don't know. Um, but the standalone PSVR is two hundred bucks for for a limited time, and the uh, like the, the a couple of the bundles are 300, so that's like all the, the wands and garbage and stuff you need. Um, yeah, and also keep,
1: keep an eye on some of those because some have the camera and some don't.
0: Right, so you need the camera, little... otherwise you just look stupid in your living room wearing a hat. So get the camera, otherwise it doesn't work at all. He yells at you. Yeah. Uh, but we played this game that came out this week. This has been uh, kind of floating around for a while. This game called Moss, which is about an adorable little mouse named Quill. Uh, it's got some very serious kind of like, uh, like Brian Jacques, like Redwall vibes to it, and it's... Uh, it's an interesting game to try to show off. Uh, you know, we've seen trailers for it, it, it and it, it looks nice. But it, it's a it's a game where you're controlling a mouse, uh, and your head kind of acts as the camera in what's otherwise pretty much just a three D platformer. But it's a really interesting game, uh, probably in the sense that it's actually it's it's not that mind blowing. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a pretty competent game.
1: It's, it's succeeding in doing what VR does best, which is taking sort of simple, mundane worlds, environments, and places. And not, that's not to call this game any of those things, um, but extenuating them and making them really interesting. Like, if we, we always talked about in, in, in Batman VR, you hold up an, a clipboard and you spin it around your hand. And that's such a boring thing to do in real life. But in VR, it's really nice. And in this game, this is succeeding in a way that a PSVR game hasn't for me since uh, Wayward Sky, which was a launch game that launched with PSVR, which had that sort of same, I'm a giant person sitting, looking down into a real Mm -hmm. livable space, and I'm interacting with and controlling with and then watching the actions of a tiny, like action figure size little character who is interacting with the world and moving around. And the cool thing about this game is you, you control a mouse, um, but it really more feels like you're controlling the world and then you're kind of nudging the mouse along. And you get to pick up things and turn them around and open doors for him or her, I'm not really sure. It's her. They, they
0: establish it very clearly. Do they? Yeah, they're like, it's a girl mouse.
1: Really? They don't say
0: it's a girl mouse. In the beginner,
1: they don't like, say that. Yes, They, yeah, they don't they, say it's a girl mouse. It's a,
2: it's a girl mouse, everybody. <laughs> like a
1: doctor. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, Congratulations, it's a girl yeah. mouse. But this
1: is a really smart little game because it sort of shows you this um, worn down, lived-in fantasy world from the perspective of something that's three inches tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in the entire world is built for this character. This is a world built for people. And now that mouse is in there sort of on its own scale. Like at at one point you see giant swords stuck in the ground that were held by six foot tall monsters or whatever we, we are. You'll see a deer walk up into the background, but you'll also see this mouse run along and be like, "Oh, there's a tiny kingdom down there too." So, I really like the way this game scales. I really like sitting and just sort of looking around these little environments that are kind of puzzle cubes mm-hmm. and also um, sort of fantasy esque. And, and there's a little bit of combat, a little bit of platforming, but none of it ever feels too, like, too robust. It's all sort of yeah. simple and in, in place.
0: Well, it's an incri- I feel like it's a very, very. Uh Realistically scaled, in spite of being, you know, the scale being kind of unrealistic on purpose. But in terms of what the game is trying to do, and it's not that it's like, let's put your head somewhere else entirely. Let's make you go up in a world that's like, I mean, we've seen so many games where it's like it's a first-person experience. Let's take you to a different world. In this case, you could theoretically have a very similar game to this where you're just looking at this action happening on a screen, which Mm -hmm. is why it doesn't look that impressive when you're not seeing it in VR. But in VR, it's not that it's taking you and putting your head in something else. It's more like the game is removing. Uh, your living room and reality from the equation. Like you're still using uh, the left stick to move this mouse around and pressing X to jump. And these are very familiar concepts and stuff that you can kind of do in your sleep. And it's comfortable. It feels like a video game should feel. But at the flip side, if you lean in very close, you're like, you're seeing something up close and, and kind of personal. It kind of yeah. reminds me of um, in that movie, Her, uh, the, the, with the with the AI. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a part yeah. where he's playing a game and it's like this little person who's, it's like this giant kind of 3D diorama that comes to life and that he's like, he's interacting with this thing on the screen and in that case there's no controller but in this case you're it feels like like you still have a f- you play as this like spirit like you actually do you don't just play as like this this uh non-existent entity you're it, it actually addresses you as being like oh you're this is the
1: reader this is the and the mouse the kind of yeah. looks up at you and is like
0: hey yeah and there's and it's be, really adorable there'll be parts where you're over over a body of water and if you look down you see your your reflection and it's basically this big glowing uh Kind of like ghostly Studio, face, like a Studio Ghibli
2: very, ghost or
0: something. Mm-hmm. Very Ghibli, um, uh, yeah. It's it's at the same time though. It's not like, hey, uh, we we turned you into a mouse. You're in this giant, huge world that's suddenly completely overwhelming. It's more like this is a this is very familiar, but because of that, it doesn't it doesn't suck to be in there for three hours, right? Um, Louis, so we played a bunch of this last night. Would you? Yeah,
2: I it? didn't. Uh, so I really liked it. I think it did. I think it did the strength of kind of what VR. Um, There's this thing that I keep seeing in VR, like you were saying, it's always like, oh, well you're first person and you're running around an environment and we haven't figured out a good way to actually have you walk around an environment. I think third person is actually where the strength of VR is. Totally agree. It's You sit in a diorama and you watch things happen around you and you can kind of observe them like a ghost, but it frees up the idea of, like camera control since the Nintendo 64 has been an analog stick or something that you're controlling with your other thumb. And the idea of freeing that up and just making your head, which is more dexterous than your thumb, the the camera, yeah, means that well, then now you have a free stick to do other stuff, right? And so you can sit in this world, you can watch these things. They feel very comfortable in terms of their scale. It's you know it's the same as watching anything around you that's like that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I was I was impressed to see the restraint because most people are trying to make you a first-person. Killing machine or whatever, uh-huh. right?
1: And I think w- like the what makes that difficult is a like as you just touched on the movement gets kind of nauseating in a lot of those games. Yep. You have to sort of do that pie chart movement or warping or whatever it is, yep. um, which are not solutions for like VR is is to support supposed to like simulate uh, an altered version of reality, mm-hmm. and no one moves around reality like that. Mm-hmm. But I have like sat in you know, gone to the zoo and, like, looked into, like, a little cage. Or yeah. you walk up to a tank and you start looking around, being like, where's – there?" it says there's, like, six tree frogs in here. Where are they? Yeah, yeah. And so this game does a really good job of that because there are these sort of – you have this mouse and you also have these, like, hidden scrolls. And you you find yourself, like, kind of peering around corners and, like, mm-hmm. looking over little ledges to being like, is it down there? And you don't always get a great point of view doing that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you – are inspired to do that is something because it makes you feel like you're in an actual livable space. And then showing that these environments are sort of lived in themselves, interacting with them um, by pushing and pulling things and helping this mouse move along is really smart and clever because it feels like a real
2: feels like a real place. Yeah, they're theatrical. Yeah, they're, they're, you're sitting in a little miniature theater. And uh, you know, if you've ever gone to a museum and seen like little doll houses or something, and you can kind of peer in, you mm-hmm. can't stick your whole head in the damn thing, but you can kind of peer in, you get a little bit of, oh, look what's in this little room, look what's in this little room. Or it's kind of even similar, if you ever had, you ever had mice in your house, you ever been sitting on your couch and a mouse wanders in? I can and you see how
0: this game is a little bit like having mice. And you just
2: sort of sit there and you like watch it and you're like, what are you going to do, little guy? And he's just mm-hmm. kind of running around looking for. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds, that weird it
0: reminds me it. a lot of, of what I like about picture books, but also of what I like about toys. You know, yeah. there's this level of manipulation to it. Um, the diorama thing is a very clear comparison, but like, I don't know. It, I always like picture books because there, there's something almost like remedial about usually how the sort of how things are like the composition, you know, it's, it, they're made for, they're typically made for children, you know, these mm-hmm. and it'll be very sort of straightforward. Like here's your sort of subject. They're almost like very uh, like rudimentary storyboards. Um, but there's something, you know, easy to understand about that. And when you're, when you're actually trying to control it, that kind of comes into play. Well, uh, what I like about the, um, the, the head, the kind of using your head as, as like the, as the, the camera controls is it's, it feels very natural. You know, like there's that concept of like, I need to see where something is, that's how you do that every day like if you're trying to kind of uh reprocess your depth perception and for 3d platformers this makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. there's always ways they try to kind of fix for that in uh you know more conventional 3d platformers like in mario he'll have a little shadow so you're you're not so much looking at where mario is you're looking at where the shadow is and where he's going to land and i'm often terrible at that but when i'm looking at like when there's there's that physical component of like i'm controlling this little thing in a diorama there's there's like a better I have a better grasp of it which is right which is neat and that's something uh the oculus game uh lucky's tale I think was trying to do that and I remember like before this game was out before really a lot of vr games were out I was like interviewing about it and I was like what why would you make a third person game in vr like what's up with that that doesn't make any sense and it really is something you don't process until you actually see it firsthand because it is so it's it's I mean in the same way that like you know good sound design or good editing. You don't notice it, and Mm. that's what makes it good. Mm -hmm. The fact that this is so kind of so natural to jump into and to be like your head takes control of this, you know, this camera.
1: Yeah, it feels like real stuff sitting on a table in front of you, Mm -hmm, or you know, playing a board game. There was a game uh, tethered that came to the PSVR pretty early on. That was sort of like a like a world building, like life simulator type of thing where you had to basically look at characters. As, and that was your pointer and by looking at them you could kind of click on them and then look somewhere else and they would go to where your eyeline was yeah um, and it got pretty chaotic and pretty cumbersome after the world started getting very you know populated and all of a sudden you're kind of darting all over the place uh, but there was something really interesting about that and I think that like when you look at trailers for VR um, it's first of all' it's, it, we, you know you know what it's like to sell a video game it's very hard to convince people with a 30 second clip yeah play my game. Um, but when you look at PSVR stuff, if I see Doom VR, I'm like, I get it. I totally get it. I'm first-person. I use the chainsaw. I run up mm-hmm. on... But when you see stuff that's third-person, it's really hard to sell. When you're watching yeah. someone else play this game... Like, you guys were playing this together the other day, yeah. but one of you was in the headset and one of you yes. was looking at the TV, which is like this weird, coned view mm-hmm. of, yeah. of the game. I mean, there's,
0: there's parts where stuff that looks incredible in the, in the headset just doesn't look like anything on the TV. It doesn't
2: mm-hmm. pop on the, yeah, because because so much of the composition, like, again, you're sitting in these dioramas or these, like, they're, they are compositions. They're architectural compositions, and they've been lit a certain way. And so when you're sitting inside of them, it's like you ever walk into a chapel, and it's amazing. You ever see a picture of a chapel on right. Google Images? And you go, yeah, it looks good. I don't know, stained glass is cool. But to stand there and to have, that's the thing I've always found with VR since the very early, like, day one crappy Oculus prototype test. Architecture has weight, yeah. And looking up at a forest, you actually have to crank your neck to look up, and something about that tells your body, oh, these things are large and massive, and they have history, and they have weight, and they're alive. That was my my favorite moment in
1: the first hour of Moss. Um, was that the the character was sort of walking across this like kind of broken up little like stream, and. <coughs> You had to reach in using the PlayStation controller and sort of lift lift up these kind of stone lily pad looking things, mm-hmm. platforms. And as the character is jumping from platform to platform, I saw something in the background just kind of like move a little bit. And I was like, Oh, what it what is that? And I looked up a little bit and it was like the the hooves of a deer. Mm-hmm. And then I looked all the way up and it was this deer just kind of frozen, watching this mouse <laughs> jump across these things. And he was like eating, I think, and he was just like And so he had this moment where he's like looking and it's like, it was like seeing a deer in the woods Yeah, where you're like, I was going about my business. I didn't come to this forest looking for deer, but here we are, we cross paths and he sort of just stopped and watched and then went back to his business Mm -hmm. and looking up at him or her and then looking at the rest of the forest Watching that sort of the levels of like okay you have a mouse three inches tall jumping across these lily pads you have this six foot tall deer and then you have these fifty foot tall trees that is what PSVR is all about right Mm -hmm. that sort of that tilt in scale and not a lot of games do it well and Moss has these sections that are they're not particularly interesting but the narrative in the game is told through um, these books that you sort of turn the pages on but they're in the books are on this sort of this, it's this a church, stand. it's a yeah. little church, right? In this, yeah, this massive church, and it's old and wooden. And you look around in it, and you're kind of looking up and down, and you're like, "This is a cool space." Yeah. And I think if I had just played that game, you know, if you showed me that church in just like a regular PlayStation Four game, I would be like, "Oh, cool, get get me out of here, go to yeah. the next thing." But I was like looking up and down and being like, "How did they make the windows?" Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you you take in stuff like that for a little a little bit longer in VR that I think you kind of take for granted. I mean,
0: yeah, that's kind of exactly it. Going back to the clipboard thing, like little tiny mundane things that seem very commonplace are breathtaking in VR. And I think this is a game that's like, hey, here's here, here's a, a, a pretty, like a very t- simple, safe, competent, you know, decent game mm-hmm. that would be pretty forgettable. It probably wouldn't have gotten made if it was just a conventional two-dimensional game. But instead they're like, here it is in VR. Let's let's commit to like really nailing what we're trying to do here. And it, I think it totally works because of that. Yeah, you know, I,
1: I also, I don't know what it's like to, like, hold a mouse and pick him up <laughs> or throw him in the air or whatever. But there It is, is
0: great, I assure you. No, I,
1: I mean, I, I love platforming games. I love 3D platforming games. And one of the, my first tests with a 3D platforming game is to start the game and jump. And if right. it feels shitty, I am immediately, like, there's no matter what this game does... It's not going to be where I want it to be. Like I, I had, I kind of had an issue. I'm playing Faye at the same time, right, Mm. or Fee, whatever it is. And I I hit the jump button in that game, and it felt like kind of floaty and a little weird. Mm. And I immediately said to myself, like, no matter what this game does, it's not going to feel 100% right because that jump is not cool. And the way this little mouse moves around feels believable. There's Mm -hmm. a weight to that. Watching him grab a ledge and pull him or her grab a ledge and pull herself up is really cool. Like, there's just th- something very sweet about watching her run around this yeah, little Yeah, no,
0: it's got, this, it's got these kind of vibes of, like, I don't know, Runaway Ralph or, like, you know, Ratatouille or something. It's got these little, and it's, I don't know, it's mixed
2: just, with uh, Ico or Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. a Famitu Ueda game. Like, it yeah. has this very familiar sort of magical stone, you know, sort of ancient, uh, ambiguously ancient architecture, not specifically from yep. any place. Yeah. And so it, it trades on that, and you're familiar with it. So you you don't have to fight the world a little like as much if it was a completely original world with completely weird arc direction and if that thing wasn't a mouse if it was a, a you know some weird robot thing you, there's extra steps there to kind of uh, uh, calibrate yourself yeah. right and it's like well I, I know I know a little mouse I know a little cartoon yeah mm-hmm.
0: no I think that that like familiarity is really this game strong strong suit and I mean it's it's fantastic so. Uh, if you have a psvr check this out uh also out this week there's a few other vr games coming uh don't knock twice which is a horror game is getting a physical release uh blasters of the universe is a vr bullet hell Uh, again we talk about how like a simple 3d platformer like this is is a nice thing and here's uh you know psychedelic neon uh (laughs) i haven't tried that but you know it's bullet hell in vr sounds like a, a migraine um, Hex Tunnel VR, it says, enter another dimension and master the elements to become supreme being with arcade, chaos, and ultra modes and procedural stages ensures a unique experience. Some more VR for you, you know. <laughs> so, all those are coming out this week. In addition copy. to, uh, exactly, copy. Uh, there's a game called Mulaka, which uh, Brian, you and I were going to check this out at Yeah, I'm playing PSX,
1: it now. Are you playing this game, Chloe? Uh, do
3: you know about no. it? No. Yeah, I do know about it. It's like a set in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah it's really, really interesting art direction. Um, it feels like. Uh, kind of low poly cel shaded and it's just like very sort of daunting and that you walk out in this world and it's kind of scary and the combat and everything sort of feels a little floaty and then it gets better and better and clicks more and more and I'm I'm really digging the the flow of the game and the enemy design and the world itself is really intriguing. Um, I'm only a few hours in but yeah I'm gonna keep I going. I think it's
0: rooted in like in Mexican folklore.
1: Yeah, which is cool.
0: Um, I like that we're seeing this. There was also that one uh, the Brazilian one that came to Switch. Dandara. Dandara, yeah. yeah, which I can see how you get these Dandara and Malacca. but um, I'm glad we're getting that because it's like kind of cool to get these these different fairy tales from around the world turned yeah. into games. Mm-hmm. Other cultures. Yeah. Then we're getting a brand new Portal game, Sweet (gasps) Bridge Constructor Portal. Remember all your favorite parts of Portal, where you jump through the portal. Well, it's now it's now it's about bridges. In bridge Um, form. This is, I mean, it's kind of funny that this comes out like a week after Metal Gear Survive. No, no shade to the Bridge Constructor guys because they're, you know, they're 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 doing it. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny to take. It's it's such a huge departure from, you know, the stuff that made that franchise beloved. It's not Valve. It's I think Valve licensed it out or something, oh, but it's okay. not it's not Valve proper. It's oh. I mean it came out for Switch. It's coming out for PS4.
3: Totally possible to do spinoffs, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, anyway, then there's for also sure. uh, coming to PSN is Bulb Boy, which I played on Switch. I really like that. Again, Me this too. is another one of those uh, games that came out on Steam that eventually gets like kind of new life breathed into it on uh, on consoles. It's Why sort of a
3: What's up? Adventure puzzle game gross oh, cuz oh, it's, it's
1: very nasty. It's disgusting. It's about oh. <laughs> it's got so
0: much poopies in it. It's, it's about this
1: boy who's like grandfather gets haunted or dies or something oh, disgusting. Man. I think he's okay. It's or really kidnapped. are you yeah. a Dying. light bulb yes or no? Kind, yeah, kind of <laughs> kind you're of? like
2: a
0: sick little light bulb. You'd actually like this. It's very Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. Okay. It feels like uh it <laughs> feels like a cross between like Resident Evil 7 and Limbo and like a, a Ren and Stimpy drawing. Yeah. But everything oh, looks weird. like it's in night vision. It's really it's and very
1: it's, gross and it's kind of point-and-click puzzle adventure game yeah i really dig it yeah yeah, i was in, I was into that
0: it's it's short but it's it's very cool uh Gross. there's a dungeon crawler coming out called crypt of the serpent king which has skeletons in it so there's that uh deblob two. you guys remember deblob mm-hmm. yeah well that's out again on ps4 for some reason
1: that's weird i yeah. could have sworn that got ported just recently or maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Was, or was is that the, the first? first it might have been the first
0: one. I, maybe, yes. maybe, maybe they're stacking things up for DeBlob Blob three. De Blob oh. returns.
1: I hope so. That's an old THQ cool. joint. Yeah, that's a, those that's, old ghosts. It's been a minute. Those old blobs.
0: Uh, gravel is out. That's a game about driving your car not on the road, but on the gravel. Whoa. Uh, Heroin Anthem Zero Episode One is a side-scrolling ARPG with Japanese audio. If that's if any of those words sound good <laughs> to you, then you know, look it up. Uh, there's a game called siam Speedrunners from Hell, the world's only competitive heavy metal first-person platformer.
1: That's a mouthful. That's yeah. a mouthful. Yep.
0: Metal. Uh, I think speedrunners might enjoy that one. Uh, there's a game called Perfect Angle, which is a puzzle game, I believe, where you're uh, rotating objects. So it's basically like those Resident Evil shadow puzzles, except uh, oh. a woman will not try to kill you with bees from the wall. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a shame. Yeah, they're like the the a box art is like much more like oh, it's just like an actual like there's oh. this there's an object you rotate until it looks the shadow looks like a seahorse. I bees, can Bees. The
2: bees are my favorite
0: part. Yeah, I'm sorry. Nothing will try to kill you here. Uh, there's a game called Timothy versus the Aliens, which is an open-world action game, which j- caught my attention because it's black and white. Hmm. You don't see a lot of black and white games, but you play as this mobster, I believe, named Timothy, hmm. uh, and you drive and run around this this like kind of noir city and fight aliens. It has kind of almost, uh, uh, what is it, uh, destroy all humans sort of vibes to right, it. Right, right. I see, okay. um, Curious about that one. Uh, there's one called Jetto Marrow, I think, which you play as a big goofy ass robot. Oh, uh,
2: I like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's,
0: it's really, really cool looking. It's got this kind of like cell shaded, like almost hand drawn look to it, which um, looks like an indie comic or
2: something. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Art yeah. is
0: really interesting. Uh, that one. Awesome. Worth checking out. And then finally, there's a game called Immortal Redneck, which is, I'm, I swear <laughs> to God, I feel like half of these I could have just been <laughs> pretending to make them. Uh, It's a roguelite FPS set in ancient Egypt. And again, you are a redneck. Whoa. So. Whoa. Which is weird because that feels like it's kind of rooted in Sirius Sam almost, who's Mm -hmm. like a redneck who runs around ancient Egypt for some reason. It's the sequel to Redneck Rampage. I finally (laughs) bring that back. I love that game. (laughs) In Egypt. Um, But yeah, those are all out this week. Uh, And yes, that's it. Uh, If you want to go connect with some other uh, PlayStation fans, head over to our Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash group slash podcast beyond. Luis, thank you for joining
2: us. Oh, thank you for Uh, having me. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, I'm at Beatlenaut, B-E-E-T-L-E-N-A-U-T, uh, um, and I don't have any other social media. Okay,
0: existence. that's fine. That's kind of it. Yeah, and you uh, you can go check out Jazzpunk Director's yeah, Club on PSN? Grab,
2: yeah, grab it on PSN, or uh, sh- this is a PlayStation show, so I shouldn't yeah. say Steam. You can
0: say it, it's fine. Just get it on PSN. Yeah,
2: uh, And there's um, DLC for it, the Flavor Nexus, Wander Around an Old 1950s uh, Grocery Store and Eat. Yeah, we didn't really talk about what the game actually is. It's like. It, it's a first person adventure comedy. If you like Naked Gun or any sort of slapstick comedy from the 80s, it is definitely up your alley. Airplane is also. Uh, people yeah, and like it's airplane. got
0: elements of like Blade Runner and, and Ren and Stimpy <laughs> in there too. It's, <laughs> if you if like it's Ren weird, and Stimpy, yeah. Um, and you can find us all on Twitter. I'm Max Scoville. Brian is Agent Bizzle. And Chloe is underscore Chloe. Uh, go check out Chloe's Metal Gear review if you're curious. Uh, she did yeah. a deep dive on that and picked it apart. And uh, I think you did a good job uh s- surviving that process thank seriously you. nobody wanted to review that <laughs> game um <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah I and yeah on that note um thank you for listening for beyond and uh have a wonderful week